go at it tonight. Amen. Let's do this thing. So, praise God. Let's go ahead and stand on our feet tonight. Let's honor the man of God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Come on, just lift your hands to the Lord. Let's love on Him. He's the reason that we're here. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for what you're going to do. And Lord, we thank you for your sweet presence that's already here. God, we thank you that there's hungry people tonight in West Virginia. There's hungry people right here in this area. Hungry people right here in this church. And Father, I thank you tonight that you've already went before us. Your Spirit's already prepared the way. But we say, oh, Holy Ghost, come even greater. May we leave transformed and empowered. May we leave so, so different than how we walked in that even tomorrow when we wake up, people say, I can tell you were at church last night. I can tell you were at King's last night because there has been a kingly transformation take place in you. Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And if you receive that, would you say amen? Well, before you're seated, give your neighbor a high five and say, Hey, you look great tonight. Some of y'all done thought real quick, there's somebody I've been wanting to say that to. Hallelujah. Before I get carried away, I have a great privilege of traveling with my wife. We don't always get to travel together. And we're going to swap off from one sleepy with a sleepy kid here. But she's got a word on her heart tonight. And I'm going to invite my beautiful wife, Pastor Star, uh, to kick us off. And we're going to see what the Lord will do. He's good. Let's not sure? wake him up. Yeah, he's okay. all right. Well, good evening, y'all. It's an honor to be here with you all. It's awesome to see all of your wonderful faces. I want to take a second just to thank Pastor for allowing us to come, for allowing us to speak, for opening your pulpit to us. Um, I have a really quick word that I feel like the Lord is speaking, and it kind of, I think, leads right into what Jerry has tonight because you guys are in for a treat, and I promise he won't keep you for three hours. It might seem like that at some times, but just the tip, if you talk back to him, it gets over a lot quicker. So um, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you guys tonight real quick about trusting in the Lord. How many of y'all in here trust in God? Amen. Amen. So I want to talk to you about the times whenever you don't feel like trusting in God because there can be times like that. Like, for example, I'm not going to go into the entire testimony because it would take me forever, but I was never supposed to be able to have kids. And before we had our first son, we suffered a miscarriage, and we have a baby in heaven that's waiting for us. But during that time, it was very difficult for the two of us. We began to question the Lord and ask, you know, God, why did this happen? You promised us a family and things like that. And the Lord just kept reassuring us that it was going to happen, that we were going to have that family. And eventually, a couple months later, I think it was about four, the little dude knocked out in the yellow over there. We found out we were expecting him. And then shortly after, we had this one, and we have a little girl that's upstairs running around too. So I'm here to tell you that God can do it. He's a God of miracles. He's a God of the impossible. And so going from there, kind of branching out a little bit, a little bit more, totally different topic. But from the age of three years old, I suffered from anxiety and from depression. And at some points after having our children, and even before having our children, it got so bad that I wanted to end my life. The devil continued to tell me that I was worthless, that I wasn't worth living on the planet, that nobody would notice if I was gone, crazy things like that. And in the midst of panic attacks and in the midst of not wanting to live, I didn't want to trust God. But can I tell you guys something? Trusting God is not about how you feel. 
It doesn't go based on your feelings. Your emotions, your feelings, that's things of the heart. It's things of the flesh. Not that they're bad. We're human. Emotions are good. We don't want to be a robot or a cyborg. But they can get in the way. They can get in the way of pursuing after the Lord. You can get him now. They can get in the way of pursuing after God, of trusting in his plans and purposes. My arm is all jiggly now. He's kind of heavy after a minute. But they can get in the way. Those emotions, those feelings, they can get in the way. And so trusting God is not based on how you feel, but it's based on your faith. God does not speak fear. He does not speak anxiety. He doesn't speak negativity or anger or confusion. God speaks faith. And so I want to go to the scripture. It's a really simple one. And if you haven't heard it, you're in for a treat because it's one of my favorites. Just to let you in on a treat too, he has this one tattooed on his arm. And it's Joshua 1.9. It was one of his favorite scriptures, and it's become one of mine. And it says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. How many of y'all are thankful God never leaves or forsakes you, that he's always with you? And so I was looking at that scripture, at that first little piece of the chapter, and I noticed that God told Joshua three times in three verses to be strong and courageous. But I want to point out to you, Because the Lord spoke this to me the other day, and after reading this scripture hundreds of times, it never really occurred to me. God didn't tell Joshua to feel strong and courageous. He told Joshua to be strong and courageous. He commanded him to be. And despite how he felt, Joshua was. He did what the Lord said. Despite all of the questions I'm sure that he had about going to the promised land and leading the people of Israel, he still did exactly what God told him. He carried every instruction out to the very T that God said to do it. And he did it, I think, with grace, just with reading the the passage. I think he did it beautifully. But Joshua was full of faith that no matter how God did it, even if it didn't look like he thought it would, that he was going to bring the people of Israel into the promised land. And so I don't know how you came in here feeling tonight. I don't know what happened to you this morning, last week, 10 years ago. I don't know what you're still carrying. But I'm up here to tell you tonight and to challenge you to lift your expectations, raise your faith level tonight, despite however you're feeling. Be strong, be courageous, just like Joshua, and get ready for what God's about to do in your life tonight. Hallelujah. If you have your Bible, I want you to go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to minister to you a message in these next few moments that I was sharing with your pastor. It was uh, very interesting. So when we met in Maui, uh, he is absolutely right. Maui turns into a whirlwind. Uh, They're early for morning prayer and then uh, just left and right. And then if you've been to Olinda Road, you know it's a drive and things like that. Uh, But we got to connect and we were thankful for it. Very thankful for your pastors. Come on, how many of you love your pastors tonight? Amen. Caught the vision to run up here in West Virginia. 1 Samuel 17, verse 18. I want you to look at this with me. I want to minister to you a word called remember the miracle. Or if I could play on of words that miracles contain memory. Remember the miracle. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, remember the miracle. Now you might be thinking, what miracle am I remembering? What are we looking at? What are we even going to think of? Here we are, 1 Samuel 17, very familiar passage. We have David who, just to give you a little 
overview of David. David is a young boy at this time and he is challenged with a task that is one of my favorites to tease about. He's challenged to take cheese and bread to his brothers who are in war. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I turn into a, a little bit of an old man at night. I can eat my weight in cheese and crackers and pepper jelly. I don't know if anyone knows what I'm talking about. But, you know, it just goes to happen. And that's what David has this beautiful task for. We see in 1 Samuel 17, And Jesse said to David, his son, I'm reading out of the Amplified Classic, Take your brothers and Ephah, that this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to your brothers at the camp. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander. I can only wonder if they had Gouda cheese in that. Hallelujah. Take it to the commander of their thousands. See how your brothers fare and bring some token from them. So what we know is they're in this valley and they're fighting the Philistines. And that Goliath is there. They're fighting this giant. They're hungry, obviously. They need some type of snack. And David has this wonderful task to go. And his father challenged him, see what's going on. If we look at that, we realize there's not a lot of news of what's taking place. So we're going to send David with some cheese and bread. He's got a little bit of a love offering here. We're going to see what's taking place from an eyewitness. Maybe they're not reporting what we really want to know on Stonebook. We have no clue what's taking place. And so that's what we see. And if you look just a little bit of ahead to give you an overview of where we're headed, we noticed in verse 23, it says that as they talked, behold, Goliath, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, came forth from the Philistine ranks and spoke the same words as before, and David heard them. What were those words? Earlier in the chapter we see he's defying God. He's speaking against everything that the God of Israel stands for, and something sparks in David. He goes from just carrying cheese and bread and says, wait a minute, something's not right here. This guy's talking about my God, and I don't like what he has to say about him. I don't like what's taking place here. You know, I, I work at Lowe's part-time, and often I'll hear people come off with some of the most craziest things. And, you know, for, before you know it, they've just totally obliterated something, and it's not worked out. And I said, well, you realize what you just asked God to do, right? And you can fill in the blank to what I'm trying to say. David's hearing that, and he says, I don't like how they're talking about my God. I wonder, I wonder church, if we grew a toleration of what was happening, and we begin to say, hey, wait a minute, don't talk about my God like that. Don't talk about the Lord like that. There's something that rose up in David and said, they are, He is misrepresenting my God, and I don't like it. That was an emotion that was good to have there because it just was emotion. Something stirred in David's spirit that said, This isn't right because this isn't who God is. And he hears that. What we know in Israel's current situation there, we read on. If you look with me in verse 24, it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the men, they when they saw the man, they fled from him terrified. Where are Saul's mighty men? They're shaking in their boots in a tent. The mighty men of Israel are somewhere in a tent. They're all shook up. They're in armor. They're ready to go. And they see this big giant come out and they take off running like a bunch of little girls that just got scared seeing a spider. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do y'all not have spiders? They're terrified. And it's Saul's mighty men. But we've got little David with some cheese and bread and he's upset. Something's not right. Something's not happening the way it should. 
want to skip ahead just a little bit. And I want you to begin to look at this text with me in verse 32 as we lay some foundation. You've been in a series on foundations, right? How many know that foundation is important in what we're talking about? Foundation is important of what we believe. Verse 32, it says, so now David's talking. His brothers get upset and they say, well, David, what are you really here for? Well, I brought the cheese and bread like Dad asked me to bring. It sounds like somebody who's cowering in fear that would get upset about somebody that's wanting something to get done. And that's what happened. His brothers are somewhere cowering in fear. And David's like, why can't we do something? And we see this here in the text. That David suddenly begins to remember something. Some gears begin to turn in his head. And it says in verse 32, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of this Philistine. Do you realize at that point their hearts were failing? They had already accepted defeat before they had ever went out to challenge Goliath. They were just looking at him. I believe sometimes we can look at the task in front of us and already be failing at heart. When we haven't even got there, we've allowed doubt. We've allowed negativity. We've allowed the terrible report. Do you realize the whole reason that Caleb was 80 years old taking them out and his 10 other spies gave a terrible report? Can I challenge you tonight? Don't believe the terrible report. Don't believe the negativity. We, have a, we serve a God of the impossible. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. We don't always see what we're believing for. Faith doesn't deny the problem exists, but faith says it cannot stay. We've got to make up our mind that we're going to say whatever situation, whatever mountain, whatever we face cannot stay because I'm not going to fail at heart because I can put my hope in the Lord. Where are Saul's mighty men? They're bound in fear. David saying, why are you guys in fear? You, you're the mighty men. I think of the different wars that's happened. And they would, uh, the Revolutionary War, you know, I grew up in the era that School of Rock uh, was what they played. And I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. I don't know if anybody's familiar with that. But Schoolhouse, whatever it was called, you know, and that's how we learned. And I remember the shot heard around the world. And they got a little boy going with his dad. We're not talking about a kid enlisted. We're talking about men trained. You know, if you join the Marines, we've got family that's been in the Marines, that's been in the Navy. In order to join, you have to make it through not just a tryout. You go through intense training. These men had been through intense training. I really want you to grab a hold of how they had felt at heart. They were the best of the best. But David says, don't fail at heart. But I want you to see what he says. Your servant will go out and fight with him. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go to fight against this Philistine. You're only but an adolescent. You're a little kid. You're a young boy. And he has been a warrior from his youth. He's saying, look, you're, you're not even a match. You don't qualify to go up against Goliath. Ain't that just like the devil to try to tell you, what are you doing believing for a city? What are you doing believing for a state? Believing for your school? You don't even have the basic qualifications to do it. Thank God that we don't need qualifications to be called. Come on, somebody. God will raise you up right where you're at. Moses was a stutterer. I, I can't stand some of the young cartoons that completely misrepresent Moses. He didn't suddenly talk clear and forget his words. He stuttered. Moses was the least candidate. He was a murderer. He had anger issues and he stuttered. 
And he was a slave. He should have been arrested day one, he entered Pharaoh, day one that he entered Pharaoh's palace. But because the hand of the Lord was upon him. I, I've come by to tell you tonight, all the way from the great state of Kentucky. Hallelujah. Throw that out there. Just to aggravate pastor a little bit. That God will place greatness on you. God will place favor upon you if you will get in your heart that I'm with the Lord and I will not fail because God is with me. Pastor Daniel Bracken in Alaska, I've heard him make this statement up there at KC Alaska. He says, I, I've put it in my heart that I don't fear anything. I believe that God is raising up a generation that don't fear anything. People say, well, what if we die? Well, Paul said to be present, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is a win-win situation. I believe David's grabbing a hold of that in this moment that it's a win-win situation. David says, your servant will go. But David doesn't stop. He doesn't hear the report and say, oh, guess what, Saul, you're right. I'm young. Who knew? Ain't that just like the devil to tell you something, you know, you already know? But David wasn't worried about it. He said, look, I'm a servant. He didn't introduce himself as a soldier. He didn't say, here's my sword. I sharpened it. I've come to bring cheese and bread. But the cheese boy's ready to go slay a giant. So in this text, let's keep reading here just for a moment. I want you to see something. David said to Saul, your servant kept his father's sheep. And when there came a lion or again a bear and took out a lamb of the flock, I went after it and smote it and delivered the lamb out of its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard. I love that the Bible is specific. It doesn't say David had a bow and arrow. It doesn't say that David was playing Call of Duty back in the day and practiced that way and had some type of idea. No, it says that David grabbed it by its beard, that he held on to it. He got toe-to-toe with whatever was in front of him. Oh, how I pray that the church of the living Jesus Christ would get some faith, that we would grab the beard of whatever enemy we're facing. We'd grab the beard of whatever problem and we'd say let me tell you who my God is David is reminding Saul look I just didn't scare it off I didn't beat on a tambourine and hope it ran I got toe to toe with it I could smell its breath it could smell mine and David continues on he says and your servant killed both we're in verse 36 the lion and the bear he's letting them know they didn't take me out I took them out and I love What he has to say next, the the tenacity that David has, he says, And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. He didn't say, I kind of hope, you know, I had some training. I wrestled with the lion. You see this right here. I got this boo-boo fighting Yogi the bear over his picnic basket. And I I hope that I'll take out Goliath. No, no, no. David's saying he's going to be like the rest of them. But I want you to see the reason why. David's not gloating and saying because I can do it. He gives this statement. He says because for he has defied the armies of the living God. He said look I'm a child of God and he's defied him. And right now he's got a problem with one of his kids. Because I'm going to go defend the Lord. And I'm going to take him out because he is speaking against God. I'm going to eliminate the enemy. I've got a pastor friend of mine in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and he used to be in the army, and he, he, we were sitting one day, and he's showing me all of his helmets, showing me everything, and I, I went to Pigeon Forge, and they used to have a surplus store there, and I picked up an ammo thing and took it to him, and he said, 
Brother Jerry, he said, do you know what being a peacekeeper really means when you're fighting war? And in my mind, I'm thinking treaties and all this other stuff. He says it means eliminating the enemy. He said, peace comes by eliminating the enemy. That's a war tactic. And I thought, oh, that's entirely different. Can I tell you, you've got to eliminate the enemy in your faith. You've got to eliminate the devil, the lies that he tells. Sometimes you need to turn off whatever's coming on the inside of you that's causing you to doubt. So David begins to remember. We see this. This was not the original message I intended to preach. I was going to preach on encounters. But we were riding up here yesterday and there's a song by Mercy Culture Worship we were listening to. Just found the band, really good stuff. And they, they, were, singing this, they were singing a song called The Giant. And they were talking about that all it takes is a memory of a victory. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. And I thought, I want to know what the Hebrew word for remember is. The Hebrew word for remember is zakar, which means to remember, to recall, or call to mind. And zakor means you shall remember. Now I want you to see this in Scripture. Go with me if you would to Psalm 77 verse 11. So if we put this in the practice, zakar, to remember, recall, call to mind, or zakor, you shall remember, we get this in Psalm 77, verse 11. It says, I will earnestly recall the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will earnestly remember the wonders you performed for our fathers of old. I will meditate also upon all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. So we see that here. The writer in Psalm 77 is saying, I'm going to recall everything. I like what the Amplified Classic says, earnestly. I'm going to earnestly put it in myself that I'm going to remember the Lord's deeds. I'm going to place a remembrance. I'm going to zakar. I'm going to call to my mind what the Lord has done. Can I tell you, it is ever so important in the day and age that we're living in that we call to mind all of the deeds of the Lord. That we call to mind the goodness of God. That miracles contain memory. When you begin to think about something God did, you are doing zakar. You are calling it to mind. You are pulling on it. Because there's something now that begins to take place your mind mind begins to flutter your mind begins to think of what the Lord did see what you focus on in battle will determine your outcome David is focusing he's defied God and because of the Lord's strength in me I'm going to take out Goliath Saul's mighty men are focusing on how well trained Goliath is how much armor he's got what you focus on in battle determines your outcome Many of us, we start focusing on what we can't do. There is a lot Jerry Webb can't do. There is a lot when we first got married I could not do. And my wife teases and she says, Jerry, you're not the same person you were when we got married. She said, when we got married, you were afraid to get dirty. And I'm just like, thanks, honey. That makes me feel real great. Now me and her dad are working on my car, whatever needs to be done. I'm on roofs, whatever I've got to do, I'm doing. Why? Because there are things that we learn over time, things we do over time. But if I let that be my qualifications, that well, I don't know how to do any of this, it would have never happened. One of my first messages I ever preached, I absolutely blew it. I used to be really, really heavy. And I do mean really, really heavy. They, people tease and says it looks like a twin ate me. 
And I don't have a twin, so that's where I was really confused. And so I, I used to uh, tried Weight Watchers and it didn't work, but I got so hung up on the point system, I'd spent 30 minutes of my message talking about the point system. Don't ask me how, don't ask me why. I still can't figure it out to this day. Thank God I didn't use that to qualify what the Lord could do with me or I'd have quit many years ago. The temptation is always there to quit. There is always... This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then, I want you to say for then. Do you realize that there's always a covenant with God? If you'll do this, then this happens. It's kind of like following Betty Crocker when you're baking a cake or something. I love to cook, but one of the bad instances, Pastor, I had, my wife's never let me forget it, is I was making brownies one time and wasn't paying attention and put in too much water. They really become keto brownies because they were nothing but water. You could take the brownie after baking it for an hour and a half, and yes, I do really mean an hour and a half, and squeeze it and water would come out of it. Can I tell you, I didn't get those delicious brownies because I didn't follow the instructions on how to make the delicious brownies. Can I give you that parallel of what God's telling Joshua? If you'll not let the book of the law depart, but meditate on it. What does meditate mean? My groanings, my mutterings, my utterances. Too many times we're like the children of Israel and we're muttering and groaning against God instead of letting what's coming out of my mouth praise the Lord. You see, under an old covenant, God was attracted to the praises of His people but under a new covenant now God's attracted to the people of praise and if I praise him may his praise be forever upon my lips how many of you you know that song we sing that sometimes I'm now pulling on the promise I'm pulling on the miracle we must let our groaning he said then you'd be prosperous and then you shall deal wisely and have good success if it's not working out can I ask you are you remembering all that the Lord has said we must let our groaning and our utterance be the word. Murmuring is goodness. But I want to give you this tonight as we're hitting the landing pad. Refusing to let the miracle, the nest, be what's leading us will produce a golden calf. I mentioned the children of Israel. They had some of the most craziest miracles if we really see what happened. Their clothes never wore out. Their, can I help you? You know what that means? They didn't gain weight or lose weight. That's a miracle. To eat bread all day long. Every day fresh bread and not gain weight. I'm a, I love bread. Hallelujah. Quail that comes out your nose. You get to eat so much. The clothes never wore out. Pillar of fire by night. Built-in heater. Hallelujah. And the hand of God was upon them, but instead they get all, up, all uptight. They get all upset. Well, God's brought us out of Egypt. We're not getting to have Fruit Loops today. God's brought us out of Egypt to kill us. They must have, some of them must have ancestors in Kentucky. I don't know. But they get ungrateful. They forget what God's done. Well, we see Moses is up on the mountain, and you know, we don't know when he's coming down. He, for all we know, he could have just left us. Well, you know what? God wanted to reveal himself to you, but you got nervous and scared and said, Moses, we just want you. They quit praising. They quit remembering the miracle. And guess what? When you don't remember the miracle, you'll remember the problem. They start crying. Oh, we should have. Moses, Moses and God connived together to bring us out here to kill us. Yes, because God's plan all along 
stupid Israelites, was to free you, do all of this stuff, show his hand just so he can go, beep, you're gone. He could have just took everybody out in Egypt if that was really the plan. And then God loved Aaron. The people made me do it, Moses. Well, Aaron, you the one that had the blueprints. You're the one that already had it figured out in your head. Give me all your gold, so we're going to start making this golden calf. See, the children of Israel found themselves in a place of murmuring and complaining. They, the, the nest was no longer the miracle. It was the issue. And guess what? God had actually already solved the issue. They were just, they allowed their focus to shift, but in the wrong direction. Last thing I want to tell you tonight is that the miracle is supernatural. I'd mentioned the lyrics from Mercy Culture Worship. This is what they said at one point. All I need is a memory of a victory. And this is playing as we're driving. And I'm wanting to preach on encounter because that's, that's what's in my mind and I'm hearing this song. Begin to look it up. I'm, I'm saying it's, it's ministering to me. And they say this expression. First came the bear. Then came the lion. Now comes the giant. And then they, they say this part. Down goes the giant. And that's exactly what David is telling Saul. He says, look, the lion came, and I took care of that thing. The bear came, and I took care of it. And in that moment, David is remembering everything God did. There's some of you tonight, you're faced with an issue, and you're asking God for a solution. Can I tell you that solution is to remember everything God has done up until this point. And that if God did it before, surely God will do it again. See, if we understand miracle, it's said a supernatural act from God. It's supernatural. We must remember all that the Lord has done. For sake of time, I'm not going to read it. But I think of, you know, in Kentucky, there's great debate whether it's, you know, J. Iris or Jarius, depending on what part of Kentucky you're in. And I like saying J. Iris because it just sounds fun to say. But J. Iris' daughter and the woman with the issue of blood. J. Iris gets interrupted. This woman's got an issue. She comes. Jesus is on the way to heal his daughter. Gets interrupted. And then they come, the woman gets her miracle and they come around and say, don't worry, your daughter is dead. Jairus at that point can pick, do I choose to believe the report I've heard? Or do I, I've just got a memory that's been created. I just, I know this woman, we've heard about her. She had an issue for 12 years. And I saw her healed. Wait a minute, I'm going to pull on that. I'm not going to pull on this report over here because there was just something that happened. I saw her fall down and him say, daughter, your faith has made you whole. What about Peter and John and the lame man? I want you to see this in Acts 3. What happened? It says, Peter and John, verse 4 and 7, Peter and John looked at him intently and said, Look at us. The lame man sitting out there. People have passed and gone in the temple. It's the time he's sat out there before church. And if I can paraphrase just for sake of time, Peter and John, what did they do? They pull on the memory. They probably thought in this moment, because it says, silver and gold have I nothing. They may know, we ain't got nothing to give you, guy. We don't have nothing to hand you, but there was a memory in them. We remember what Jesus did when people needed something. We remember where the blind beggars came. We remember where they came and called out. Some of you want, well, I want the Lord to use me. Well, why don't you just pull on the memory of what Jesus did? Jesus just made himself available. The Bible says that Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. And I believe in that moment, Peter and John, they're pulling on that memory. They're pulling on the memories. What did they do? They did what Jesus did. They said, we ain't got no, no, we're not giving you a handout. But let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pick you up. I'm going to reach down. You're lame, but come on up, stand up. We're going to help you up. And Peter and John, 
There you go, just receive it. Peter and John begin to imitate what they saw Jesus do. You know, the other night in the men's meeting, it, it was just fun to be around some godly men. I was telling pastors, he's got a great group of men. But there's a real hunger in you. There's a real hunger to see what the Lord has laid out in Scripture. What's your name? Tyler. Tyler. And Tyler, I hear a promise of the Lord that as you'll get hungry, as you'll get thirsty, and you'll just begin to do what the Lord tells you to do, that there will be nothing that will be impossible. And here's what that means, that God will begin to show you the very things that you've cried out in the secret place and say, Lord, I want to see. God, I want to see your hand do this. I, want to, I just don't want to read it. There's something in you that says, I just don't want to read it, but I want to see it. Lift both hands to the Lord. Father, right now, I thank you for my friend up here that you're going to touch him from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And there would be a fire that would come up on the inside of him. Father, I thank you now that as he pushes himself forward, just keep him go deeper. Study the word. Meditate on it day and night. Let Joshua 1.8 become your rule of thumb. And as you do, the Lord will use you to do great and mighty exploits. There's people that's written you off. People that said, there's no way it can happen with him. And God said, he'll make you a sign and wonder even to those people. And you'll see some of the ones that up and abandoned you because of faith. That God will give you the privilege to end up leading them to the Lord. Just stay the course. Stay the course. Don't look back. Don't look back. First came the bear. Then came the lion. Down came the giant. They imitated what they saw Jesus do. The last thing I want to give you is your testimony. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they defeated Satan, the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives to death. Your testimony is a miracle. What's that place that God found you in? When the devil goes to say it's over, it's forgotten, there's been many places the Lord's found me. And I was raised in a Christian home, but there, there come a point I had to make the decision myself. I remember being 13 years old, wanted to kill myself. My cousin had introduced me to pornography. I got hooked on it. I had no friends. I was bullied in school terribly. Some dummies gave me a razor and said this will help. Did not help. Made it worse. And I thought, I don't know why anybody's doing this, but I kept doing it for whatever reason. But I knew how to hide it. I knew how to jump up and down in the fast songs, lift my hands in the slow songs, sing Kumbaya, and nobody would ever know. But God found me. I was hurting. And I remember, you know, God knows your name. He knows your number. The Bible says He knows how many hairs are on your head. And if you're bald, that's even more special. He does. I can begin to remember all the times God's found me. I remember dating this girl from hell that tried to kill me on multiple occasions. I found myself in a bar one night. Should have never been there. We're leaving the bar and she it's like perfect horror story. And she'd be Catholic church bells going off 2 o'clock in the morning. And she says, we're going to die tonight. There's demons all around us. And all of a sudden, I begin to call on the memory. I knew what the Word says. I'm not dying tonight. I don't know about you, but I'm not dying tonight. I wasn't where I needed to be at that point. I had, you might as well just say backslidden a whole, whole lot at that point. But I knew enough that I was going to call on Jesus. Oh, I could begin to call on the different things of where He's found me. But I want, I want to close with this. 
And I want to pray for you tonight. Because, see, if a miracle is a supernatural action from God, then a revival has memory as well. There is something significant, church, that begins to happen when we think of what the Lord has done before. I remember a year ago, Asbury, revival took place. I've made up my mind. I just don't want to read about it. I want to see it. I want to see it take place. And I remember going just to visit for a little bit. But can I tell you, something special begins to happen. When you talk about moves of God, something begins to stir. Why? Because a revival is a miracle. It is a supernatural action from God. And what, it, what action is, it's Him responding to the hunger and thirst of a region, to the hunger and thirst of a people that says, Oh God, we want more of you. Oh God, we, want, we need more of you. And I believe that's exactly what God's doing with West Virginia. He's responding to a response of people in Fairmont that's saying, Oh God, we're hungry. Oh God, we're thirsty. We, our state needs something only you can do. This city needs something only you can do. The schools need something only you can do. Because revival is a miracle. Why? Because God responds to memories of miracles that make us hungry. There's something when you begin to start talking about Cane Ridge. You begin to start talking about Azusa Street. You begin to start talking about Toronto. I was reading one day about Charles Finney. And it said that he had visited a factory. And that one, he didn't even do anything but visit it. And this woman got so convicted that she began to repent and begin to weep because of the anointing that was on his life. And I begin to read about that and it creates a hunger. And it said that that whole factory shut down and 3,500 people received the gospel. Why? Because there's a demand. There's something that happens when we remember. Go with me back to 1 Samuel 17. When we remember the miracle. So David said, he has defied the armies of the living God. And in verse 37 of 1 Samuel 17, he said, The Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the bear. And I love what he said next. And he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Go and the Lord be with you. So David's response as he's pulling on the memory, as he's pulling on the memory of the miracles that God's done before us, the same God that did it before is going to be the same God that did it again. The same God that did it, did it with the lion when I was holding a spear, when I was grabbing a hold of that mane face to face with it. He's going to protect me here. I, he goes to try on Saul's armor, don't fit. He didn't need Saul's armor. It was untested scripture. Says he hadn't used it before. Oh no, David just needed, needed those smooth stones, those sling. Hallelujah. I reminisce often about a function. I talk about it all the time because it's a memory that I hold. Something that happened right before COVID of the youth conference. And, and I hold that and I say, oh God. We want to, I want to see you do it even greater. I want to see you do it even greater. And it's almost nostalgic, that song. C.C. Uh, sings an amazing goodness of God. I love that one part of this. Because all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so 
so good. And then one part. So with every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Because see, when you remain in the goodness, my friend right here in the Hawaiian shirt, what's your name again? Jesse, stand up. When you remain in the goodness of God, when you begin to remember the goodness of God, Father, right now, over Jesse, when you begin to pull into the goodness of God, everything that you need, everything that you need is right there in His goodness. I love something Dr. Morocco teaches when he teaches the Lord's Prayer. And he breaks it down, and the Timothy mentoring books are great for that. But the disciples said, oh, teach us how to pray. And Jesus starts off by saying, well, our Father which art in heaven, hallow be your name. If you look at hallow, it means to just begin to remember. Begin to receive all God has. Jesse, lift both hands to the Lord. Father, right now, from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Lord, he's a, he's a fiery guy. Ready to see a movie.